Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast, we have partner at Samaipata, Carmen Rico. Welcome, Carmen. Hola. Hi. Super happy to be here. So we're going to go through your background and your current role at at, uh, Samaipata, but um, we're, we, one of the things that's always really exciting is to is to talk about some sectors that that are emerging and inspiring during times like these. And so I know that you recently shared some blog posts regarding the future of, of work and and industry, uh, the revitalization of industry. So we're going to get to those. This is going to be a very exciting podcast, guys. So stay tuned. All right, Carmen, let's start with your background. I know you studied um, a combined master's and undergrad degree in law and business. And and you hold like the record for the highest grades ever. Uh, tell us that. <laughs> that story. was supposed to be told in confidence. <laughs> oh really? Oh sorry. Oh sorry. Well, I mean it was public, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was on TV, but it was but on only TV. in Spain. So it didn't make it to the UK, thank God. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. All right. Well, hey, look, that's amazing, right? Like it's it's great. Obviously. Yeah, that was officially. I was officially a geek. <laughs> I'm proud. I'm proud. That's good. Well, so how did that? shape your sort of thinking about your first job? Like, how was it, you know, you probably had the options, all the options you could want. So, so what shaped, what was your first decision? Yeah, it's actually a very interesting one and you need to um, have the context of what the, the time was. That was when uh, Spain was in the middle of the sovereign crisis, sovereign debt crisis, worst time. Our risk premium was 500 basis points, basically governments needed to reform education and healthcare. And I was obviously thinking of going to either like the likes of McKinsey or um, Goldman Sachs and to do um, banking or consulting as a, as a step first step in my career and then i got this phone call from um the former president of congress in spain who had won the elections of one region in spain and regions in spain run healthcare and education and she basically pinged me and said i am building a cabinet of people who are not party members do you want to join and i just thought that's not really a job you apply for um and and i could like it was really obviously a very very interesting time to to be in politics in spain and i stayed there for two years um but i realized so politics is one of the most beautiful jobs in the world if you like it and the impact you have is unbelievable but it's also true that it is in my view a great place to end your career not to start it because they don't have talent management structures, right? And I was hanging out with my friends who did in fact go to Goldman and to McKinsey and to Bain. And the way they were thinking, the way they were approaching problems and and kind of their thought process, I wanted to think like them and I wasn't being taught to analyze uh, things that way and to work with those kind of standards. And so I decided, um, well, I tried entrepreneurship in them and I launched a company that was a crowdsourcing marketplace for journalists so the idea was people with iphones could uh, take pictures that were newsworthy and the media could buy them 
and that doesn't work because uh, the media like it's interesting and you know as well right now that some ideas are brilliant but then the business like brilliant as in brilliantly easy and obvious but then the business models don't work and this is one that um doesn't scale um obviously because the media is not very keen on paying anyways but also because it is just very hard on customer acquisition and retention but i got my first kind of um flair of what entrepreneurship was of a very early stage ecosystem in spain also on the investor side and yeah and then i decided to it was time to go serve my time and i moved to london and joined morgan stanley which ended up being i think one of the best decisions i've made professionally and personally so when people join a bank or a name that's typically associated with like finance Finance is huge, right? There's so many different divisions, even within investment banking, which is like a, a typical career choice post MBA and post um, degrees and in, in, in industry. It has multiple different sectors. What was your career path within Morgan Stanley? Yeah, so actually the first thing I did is I went from kind of the top of the bottom chain when I was in politics because I was an advisor to the president to the very bottom of the food chain at Morgan Stanley. And that was probably the best thing I took out of it. But I was in investment banking. So I was mainly doing a lot of financial institutions. It was the time of Basel regulation, Basel, Basel three, And we were mm. doing a lot of structure, like debt high, equity hybrids for financial institutions. Mm. And, and so you were there for? Three years. I was at three Morgan years. Stanley for three years, yeah. And I was, in fact, it's, it's interesting because it's also a fate. I, I have this kind of internal fight between traditional career and actually doing kind of a off track things, I think is, and it's interesting because I was moving to New York with Morgan Stanley, but I was moving as in I didn't have a home in London anymore. And all my stuff was in spec in like boxes to be shipped to New York. And then a good friend of mine, who you also know, Guzman, who um, a great investor, he was he was at Index at the time, and he introduced me to Antoine from Felix Capital. And so I met I met Antoine in like a meeting that would completely change uh, the course of my career because I literally 48 hours before having to move to New York, I stopped the move. Um, Morgan Stanley allowed me to stay, and four months after, I was at Felix. Well, <laughs> Between between that that phase, there was a startup, right? Vino. So and that so, was actually between uh, Felix and and Samaipata. Oh, excellent! All right, so yeah, so you Felix taught me all I know about direct to consumer brands, and then I decided I was going to launch one. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So walk us through that that conversation with with uh, Antoine then. Well, we had like a coffee and, and basically, um, it was kind of this, um, easy coffee chats, but I just, from, from listening to what they wanted to do about, and if many of you will know, Felix is kind of this BC for the creative class, but to understand how tech can enable, um, consumer both directly and indirectly on B2B and B2C side, it just completely fascinated me. And I thought, and again, this is why also the, the startup you mentioned is relevant. I joined BC in full transparency because I always thought I would be a founder myself and I didn't have an idea at the time and I didn't have a network at the time. So I thought VC would give me the muscle as in I would see so many companies to be able to identify 
patterns of success and to build a network that would then enable me to launch my company. And that is the reason why I initially joined VC. It's definitely not the reason why I'm in VC now. And so when I I met Antoine and I met Frederick and Philly and the team, I thought it was an incredible opportunity to be at the very beginning. We didn't even have an office. We were crashing on some other VC's office back then. And um, to launch an an incredible platform from the very beginning and, and get that platform for me as, as like a potential start to then build my own company. And then may, maybe there's a combination of lessons learned from working at Felix and then how you wanted to apply those to this com- to the company that you built. Because presumably when you start off spending time with a, a fund like Felix, where it specializes in some of those attributes, you then take those and say, I'm going to take those attributes and apply them to the startup. So maybe walk us through that rationale because you must have been felt like engaged and ready to go and like I know everything. Not that you, not that you know everything, but you must have been like I know. So So tell us what that was like. I think um, so. While I was at Felix, we invested in the likes of to give people India a group uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow, which was um, built from like a newsletter up to like a huge um, e-commerce and and own brand. Urban Massage. Papier, Deliveroo, all plans. Like, um, it's just basically, I think if I, if from looking at businesses, learning a lot about great founders, but looking at businesses, there are two things I took from Felix that I knew I would want to achieve in my company was one customer love. And at Felix, they call it the power of brands, but I think it, it, like I call it customer love and to the power of the community. And this is things I still look for in businesses across sectors. Um, and those are the things that make me really realize they're special businesses. So that is what I also try to create. We, like a friend of mine from school uh, who lived in New York, and I launched a company that was called Reconnect. And it was a direct-to-consumer brand for pregnant women built under the idea that you could live maternity your own way and still be a woman and still be yourself. And we built that from completely from scratch, from idea, just like on a piece of paper. We built a brand, we built a collection, we launched it. There was a point I had 1,100 items of clothes for pregnant women in my living room because we launched from my living room. I did the whole like very scrappy founder journey. And uh, I, I didn't even have a boyfriend. And I had like my home full of pregnant, uh, close or pregnant ladies. But we did the customer service, our, our own IQ to the returns. It was like the whole thing. And we did it for a year and a half or two up until I realized that actually it was investor. Well, like I wanted to be an investor and that I had misunderstood the concept of being a founder versus being an entrepreneur. And I wanted to launch something and create something and have that ownership and autonomy. And, and But I was missing the variety that VC gives you. I made it was kind of an aha moment because for somebody who studied so much as I did, This realizing that I actually rather know less about more than more about less was, I mean, I would have never said it if they would have asked me. And and so Reconnect took all my savings from banking, zero, like I I had quite a hard two years then, but it gave me something that is has been invaluable. And this was three years ago. And it's the certainty that what I really, really want to do is to be an investor in tech. And it's the first time in my career, and I've been at it for a few years now, where I really know what I want to do. So, yeah. So if, if we go 
and play with with that interesting time of your life where you explored entrepreneurship as a as a founder in a business that was catering to a, a customer that you could connect directly with so d to c as opposed to b to b or or you know you said that you you realized that you wanted to be a vc but but there must have been some some realizations that led to that that weren't just that it must have been like um the challenges with product market fit or uh, go to like what are the lessons that you that you kind of misapplied or, or things that you think that you had understood but then you realized that wasn't working or was it entirely because the the product itself wasn't the, the what the market wanted maybe unpack that for us Absolutely. So from kind of as I will unpack it as an investor and then I'll yeah. get into the personal learning. So I think the pregnant um, like maternity market is a very difficult one. And it is a similar one in like kind of psychological mechanics as the plus size market. So one thing we failed to realize is that because we hadn't been pregnant ourselves, right? We were applying like our non-pregnant psychology to a hypothetical pregnancy. Is the fact that pregnant women don't want to spend a lot of money in clothes that they think they're gonna wear for just a few months. And that is also with plus size because um, people in the plus size market, women tend to think that they're gonna lose weight. So they don't want to um, spend full price. So that is why it's markets where typically it's highly discounted. So that is one, and somebody will find the solution because still women want to dress like women while they're pregnant. So is it rental? Is it, I don't know, but, but they will find the solution, but we didn't. Um, so the, the product people loved absolutely. Like the, the, we had like a lot of, um, customer reviews, even from husbands. Like, so the customer love we felt, but the second challenge was to make it at scale. Right. And I think that is probably the biggest learning I took as an investor in terms of how useful it was, it was the fact that customer acquisition is tough. <laughs> and customer acquisition on Instagram, on Facebook, that, that it takes time and it's very, very difficult to nail. And you think that you're going to just open, like, launch a website and people are just going to run into it. And, 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 and that is far from true, right? You're not on the street. It's not a store people come to. And you need to manage that. And Facebook audiences are a pain and then they change the algorithm. So I think I really experienced firsthand um, the why um, of, of like how hard it is to acquire. And then third and foremost, the value of having everything in order. And we were a banker and a consultant, but they really helped of having everything from the very beginning. It doesn't matter if you sell very little, but businesses that have working capital issues, keep it super under control, have every invoice, like just keeping the house ready. It's so much more exciting to go after a client than a customer. But because it, having good housekeeping won't make you successful, but it will prevent you from dying, which is a very useful thing. So I think um, that is from an investor, the key learnings. From a personal point of view, it was that on the second collection, I found myself really very bored about like, oh, what like the designs and what kind of um, um, stuff and materials are we using? And I just thought, well, I kind of built one collection already and kind of got the framework. I just doing it a second time, I'm not finding it so interesting. And that's when I realized actually, I'm not a one sector person, which is, um, it or, was, or maybe do you think it was just not an area of passion because it, that is the second thing. Yeah. That it was a wrong choice of mine. I think I am not, a, I'm not super passionate in fashion. I guess if I was to solve some, something that I feel 
like my life goes into it, it would have been a completely different feeling. So when you look at it, I know we haven't even gotten to Samaipata yet and, and all that, but like it's taking that experience, because so, the thing is, what's, what's interesting about that journey is that, you know, you, you spent some, very few people spend some time in venture, try a company, then go back to venture. And so there is like a, a certain um, challenging of concepts and ideas that then you have to revisit and then rebuild because you're, old ones which were theoretical have now been met with reality and then you then build those ideas stronger and i think very few people can say that and and i'm curious as to you know some of those lessons that you just shared right now in terms of you know for example could uh, be passionate about the idea or having good housekeeping with regards to your books uh, bookkeeping and everything like that it, looking back um what what was it that drew you to the idea in the first place because like you know the, to some extent were these ideas that you were not exposed to as a VC before? And, and like, you know, you hear about founders being passionate. How many, how many, how do you check to see somebody's passion level? Because would, would the Carmen today, here's the, here's maybe the best way to ask the question. Would the Carmen of today been able to hear the Carmen of reconnect pitching the business and figured out from that pitch that her heart wasn't yeah, in it. It wasn't going to work. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think so. Two, a couple of things. I think there's a lot of unlearning to do, right? Like we spend our life learning and we're privileged that our main job is to learn. But there's a lot of unlearning that you also have to do, right? And and I did. I had a family preconception as in all my family is is businessman, is, is, is found their founders, non-tech, nothing very edgy. But but I thought I would be one like that. And I miss, I made the mistake of, so what drove me to reconnect, to launch reconnect was the willingness to create, to build something, to own something like and not own materially just have ownership over the workflow over the that that the concept of entrepreneurship but what you realize is that you can actually have that concept in bc and and that is actually what the main thing samaipata has given me you can like really be creating things without having to be a founder if you're not an operator which is what i realized i wasn't um kind of geared towards now how do you check passion i would have known because you know how people cover themselves and like they're not fully sure i always say um when when i was still at felix and it's now a portfolio company at samaipata but it had nothing to do with that decision i had dinner with alejandro from Home. so we went for drinks and it got quite late with a few people and it, we were so hungry we walked for like an hour to get to chicken house like in Holborn and I didn't understand why we had to walk an hour for food but whatever and then we got there and you get this massive like a for like a food porn chicken and stuff and Alejandro didn't eat he was pitching his business to a couple of other investors and chicken was there and looking really yummy and he wouldn't eat and I was very Spanish mothering like Alejandro have some and he wouldn't because he wouldn't stop pitching his business right and that is passion like the guy didn't have dinner and he was like midnight and and so I didn't have that for you and I should have identified it and now I know and and or or many other like um even in your company like Johnny from Hopping he's an amazing example of that Mm. So I think yeah. um, that taught me to also DD because I've been there when I wasn't fully convinced. <laughs> so now I, I can definitely uh, see that. And it only gave me more, like made me 
respect founders more and more because I understand how hard it is. I understand how it is to put all your financials, like all your savings for years and have nothing after, like put them at risk. And also how really hard it is to keep being passionate and excited about it when everything seems to go wrong or slower than you thought. Mm. And I only have pure respect and admir admiration for founders after having tried to be one. Mm. Well, uh, you also, the, the, um the quote that you mentioned at the beginning of, of what you were saying is straight from Yoda. You must unlearn what you have learned. Yeah. So there you go, Carmen. I didn't <laughs> know you were a Star Wars fan. Um, so let's talk about Samaipata a little bit. Uh, how did how did that relationship start? Um, what Walk us through the thesis and what what it is that you felt was the right fit. I know there's some people who are, and you wrote a long blog post around um, how to, enter into venture and how to think about a career in venture. And some, some people are always uh, driven by brands. Others are driven by growth. Others are driven by entrepreneurship in VC, so VC entrepreneurship. So maybe combine those two things. Absolutely. So I think I knew, so first, Jose is the general partner of Samai Pata. He's basically a successful, one of the success stories in Southern Europe. He launched and exited a food delivery marketplace that was acquired by Rocket and then just eat for like 100 million, which Southern Europe is like a huge acquisition five years ago. And I knew Jose from covering uh, Spain while at Felix. And um, we basically built a relationship through a time and, and Samaipata was investing from the very beginning in the UK and in France as well, but from Madrid. And I was very adamant to him that I didn't think that worked, that I didn't think that you could be uh, an emerging brand in Spain and expect to get access to the best deals in the UK and in France. That just, it was too competitive. And so one day, very Jose, who like is the most thoughtful, analytical person you can meet, he was like, well, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and just join and kind of launch that hyper local strategy in multiple locations. And here it goes. I was at Felix. Felix was doing incredibly well. We had uh, raised a second fund. Um, and and it was kind of a quite an incredible platform to be. Deal flow was insane in the in Europe and in the US, but I was missing that kind of entrepreneurship side or ownership. And that and what um, basically Jose offered me is to launch a fund in the UK to own that part. And and that for me was actually the perfect fit between being entrepreneurial, but keeping that curiosity that is the main, this, like the second main driver in my case, open and, and also focus on seed, which was, which is by far my favorite. I'm a people's person very much. And, and seed is, is like my, my passion. And so I actually did um, do that and put my money or my lack of savings where, where my mouth was. And I hired, so I opened the French office and hired somebody French because as um, many know, uh, when you work with French people, as I did, you learn that if you want to do something interesting in France, it is good to have French support. So we have a fantastic uh, investor, uh, um running France, and I focused in the UK. And I basically do everything from deal sourcing up until portfolio management and, and even fundraising. And we do, so Samaipata is quite special on top of having a name that is very hard to pronounce, but that you pronounce very well. Um, Samaipata is a pre-series A fund investing in digital platforms and marketplaces. So we are specialized by stage and we do typically one to four million rounds that we lead. 
with average ticket sizes of 1 to 1.5 million. And what's even more interesting is we're sector agnostic, but we're specialized by business model. And what is a digital platform? Because a digital platform can basically be everything. <laughs> For us, is a digital framework connecting two or more sites with multiple participants each site. And the platform regulates that, that interaction, sets the rules for that interaction. So it can be a pure marketplace connecting buyers and sellers and taking a fee. But it can be a SaaS-enabled marketplace, so a SaaS platform that then grows into a SaaS um, features or workflow or tools that then grows into a platform by bringing on third parties. And we have a French company that is, that is a, a SaaS to manage uh, property buildings that then brings on service providers. That is one that they indexed back last summer. So maybe, maybe, on, maybe on that note, um, to, to further explain the, the thesis, maybe walk us through the, the, the areas that you're most excited about right now, the top five yeah. sectors, because then that gives people sort of perspective how your investment thesis sure. shifts in light of, of what we're experiencing. Sure. So there are two, I think, two parts to that. As business model, what I'm most excited about in digital platforms is two things. One, the ability to go horizontal, so of platforms to expand across the value chain. So if you think about it, we have a company that connects R&D design engineers with manufacturers of, of, of uh, parts. So then what you can do afterwards is you can connect the material providers to the manufacturers and create and, and you kind of link three nodes. So you expand kind of horizontally across the value chain. What the second thing that is very powerful in, um, and again, I mean, examples like this Shopify, Stripe, you know how they expand like an oil, uh, uh, an oil like oil across like the value chains. And then the second interesting thing is the ability to go deeper, which um, NFX, a fund that does a lot of network effects, brilliantly explained as called market networks. And it's that ability to have people, different like um, parts collaborating. So it's a mix of SaaS with social media and with market network. And that is basically on the same note of value chain, you go very deep and add collaboration, communication, social identity. So as a business model, I think that is the power of platforms by being highly defensible, highly scalable, and can get very big by expanding like either uh, like wider or deeper. Now, in terms of sectors, and I think, we're all talking a lot. I wrote a blog post, but we're all talking a lot about remote work, ed tech, like, um, uh, like obviously uh, gaming, live streaming, and, and health tech, everything that is um, kind of coming up post-COVID. But I think thinking a little bit COVID aside, and obviously acknowledging that, that we are in a world that, that is, has changed completely, I'm very excited about the future of work, but I'm not only remote, but also another point that is an issue now, the financial wellness of the self-employed. I think um, self-employment and all across the kind of spec social or economic spectrum is growing and they don't have right, like the right financial solutions. They don't have access to, to provide them kind of some financial wellness. I think that is a very interesting one. The creator's economy is is an is a, something that excites us a lot and that is basically tech to unlock and capture the value of creativity creativity is a human superpower and traditionally it's been third parties rather than the creator who has captured that but now technology is enabling creators to go directly 
to their uh, customers. And so we have a company in that that does that with independent jewelry designers. Um, there are many like um, like that, and it's it's very interesting uh, site. And one that nobody talks about because it doesn't look very sexy, but that excites me quite a lot because I'm seeing firsthand what's what's happening is the digitalization of professional services. When you think about legal tech, accounting, even consulting, those are um, areas that are huge. They're huge markets, and they know they they have known for a while they need to digitalize because their customers demand it. But it was kind of a nice to have. It was a with their survey, it was like to make themselves look forward thinking. And today, suddenly, they have to because if you want to take payments, they need to be online. And if you want to onboard clients, it needs to be online. And so suddenly, this nice to have has become a must have. And, and that is a very interesting um, space. I mean, I can, I can go on about the future of e-commerce and genset and sustainability, but I think one that I actually don't know anything about, but that I am very interested in is biotech and, and where tech needs health. And my reasoning, and this might be completely, um, made up, but is I was living like at the beginning of the banking crisis. I was in university, but I saw it firsthand in Spain, what, what it did. And I saw how governments rushed to save banks because as they told us in university banks were the blood you know that goes through the body of the economy and without banks the economy dies but the reality is that it didn't stop the economy and now the risk of our healthcare system collapsing just like the fact that our healthcare system was at risk shut down the economy right so in my mind, it's just there's unlimited innovation and amounts of money that is going to go into that sector because we've realized it's probably the point where we're most vulnerable at, right? And I don't know a lot about biotech. I'm trying to um, to learn, and it's very technical for somebody who invests in tech-enabled solutions rather than the development of new tech. But I think it's a space, definitely, mm. where a lot of very interesting things are happening, are going to happen because they have to. So switching from the future to the now, which which are the top three companies that you, you know, obviously within the stage that you operate in. So, you know, we, we have to exclude Tesla becoming an MG provider in the UK, you know, Amazon, uh, <laughs> Amazon owning Whole Foods and everything else in the world. Um, now, if you have to look at the three companies that you you would rank as their top in sort of our stage, um, what, what would they be and why? Well, I guess one, you know, because it's one that uh, bounds us together and, and it's a very obvious one and, and that is Hopin. Um, for, uh, I think everybody is excited about Hopin, but uh, for everybody who doesn't know it and, and you guys led the round, it's a platform to create and host online events end to end. And um, the reason why I'm excited about it is because I've also seen it from the very beginning i've seen johnny and i've seen the product develop and i've obviously um seen kind of the traction there i met johnny when he was just him and and he was raising 150k and credit to and and this is important credit to one of the best business angels in london who also you know very well called andrew vibes because he is the person who actually met johnny for the first time and who introduced johnny to me and it was a friday in july and i was like okay half an hour 6 p.m that's it we stayed like three hours and, and then that basically the rest is is very much history you guys led around with another amazing like here and from extension but what i think is what, what gets me excited about hopping is that it's a very rare case in europe also where it's not just innovating it is disrupting 
right? And and that is a very and you know we we see a lot of companies and we don't see that many that completely reinventing experiences and using tech to reinvent not just to bring offline events online that's not even the point it is to completely reinvent the way we engage the way we attend events the way we network and that what happens with that is that it opens an unlimited new market because it basically untaps or unlocks the possibility of hosting thousands and millions of events that would have never happened either way right like when you think i i always use this example johnny was um if you have a third a community of thirty thousand. Uh, people because you like to bake cakes and 30,000 people follow you on Instagram. Well, writing only takes you so far. So how do you engage that community? How do you actually monetize it? Right. And that is the very genesis of, of Johnny's story and, and why Hopping was born and what completely uh, blew my mind when I first saw the product that, he, that afternoon. Second thing that, and going back to my learnings from Felix, is the customer love and the community. And um, Hopping has something very special, which is a Hopping Facebook group. But at the very beginning, we had like when he created it, I, I was on it. And I remember seeing people writing at 10 p.m. on Sundays and making tutorials for each other. It's like when you have people at that stage going so crazy about a product, like there's clearly something, right? And so, and then and that continues. Well, this goes back to your thesis about the, the brand having a, very strong brand and a community so it's both exactly it's like and and you see it create organically rather than top down right or based on money and marketing this is pure organic this is people who love your product so much that they want to talk about it on sunday at 10 p.m and and that that is incredible to see and you see that very few times and i see hundreds of companies a year and i don't find come across that so frequently so i think and that is very magic that is very hard to replicate and hopping has that and then obviously hopping has johnny and i think johnny and we were have been talking about learning and unlearning and i think johnny is probably the founder i've learned the most from in the sense of something that is again quite rare which is this ability to think big, actually beyond big. Like, and, and I have countless conversations with him and I was always kind of trying to bring him down to earth and not just, but just because, not because I didn't believe he could they become the, like a massive, just because I thought it was not that quickly, I'm, right? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a detour on that point because I think it's a very good point to, to touch on. I think on a general basis, so what thinking big means, right? So there's thinking big as a, as a founder and there's thinking big as an investor and then there's thinking big as an investor listening to a founder. And, you know, when you compare what you heard from Johnny with what you've heard other people say, how do you, how do you encourage founders to divide the thin line between thinking big and, <laughs> and, and sort of delusion? How, how do you, how do you do that? It's, it's very tough, right? And I was uh, actually reading an, a post yesterday that says only 1.9% of companies in the UK that don't have US presence um, have actually got funding from US investors, right? So this idea of getting back by, like, and so many founders come to you and say, I'm going to raise from the US. And, and how do you, like, how do you actually, because I try to, I have this style where I'm trying to be very open and very honest to founders with on candid feedback, because I think that is the, my, the best use of their time, even if I'm not going to invest. And I might be completely wrong because they're much closer to their business, but, but I do that. And how do you identify when exactly 
the guy is not delusional. I remember this conversation. In an, so I had a date actually on a Friday evening and I was on the phone with Johnny and I opened my date with leggings and no makeup. So like basically lockdown style uh, because I, I'm still on the phone with Johnny and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, like you'd like, I mean, you're like eight months old. Like it is, you know, it's, and, and, but reality is, uh, the truth is reality has proven him right and has proven me wrong. And how, but um, that doesn't work for everybody, right? Because not every, like some people need to, okay, you need to do step by step. I have this conversation when I always tell, try to explain funders and also it proves the value of us as seed investors. Why are we valuable? Because from the moment from seed to series A, you need to optimize for speed of learning because you need to, like kind of test things, learn from it, iterate change. And the less money you do that with probably the less expensive those mistakes are. And this metamorphosis that you need to go through, right? You can go it fast, quick, but you need to go through it. And that has always been my thesis. You cannot go from, I used to call being five years old to being 10 years old just directly. You need to, you can go quicker or slower, but you need to go through that time. And Johnny, like, is not made for that model and how do you actually identify that well it's very hard um, because it's also very risky to tell somebody to go think like that so i think that was my biggest learning of i was thinking i never doubted the potential because i could see this as an investor i could see the customer love the the market Mm. but i had to think bigger Mm. he taught me that all right so we we left it at your number one top company i guess um Maybe pick one more then. What one more and and for the, okay. the reasons I'll why say, you think. do I have to say a name though? Uh, <laughs> oh wow, it's stealth, huh? Um yeah, I'll tell a story. Or are we talking like a theoretical company? No, love? no, no. It's a real company. I'll tell oh, okay. I'll actually say the name everybody knows okay, it is. Yeah. Um it's a company called Freshly. And it's another one of those cases where it is out of our scope at Samaipata, but I met mm-hmm. them. It's three three founders, it's a Spanish company, three founders in a um, town near Barcelona, not even in Barcelona, like you need to take like a really dodgy train to get there, um, in the middle of literally nowhere. From They are from a town that is less than 20,000 uh, inhabitants. They went to a normal university. They got together and decided to launch a direct-to-consumer beauty brand that was organic and that was very mission-driven in the values that they represented. Well, I met them when they were doing 300K and it was the first year they obviously didn't even know what a VC was. This, um, like they basically, and I won't be specific, but this mar- month of March, they lockdown obviously in Spain was pretty harsh, but they the logistics was still working. But the Freshly guys decided that um, they shouldn't deliver because they didn't want to put at risk their employees. So they stopped operations completely. Well, they still made six figures in sales in pre-sales with people who didn't even know when it was going to get delivered because nobody knew when lockdown was going to end, right? And that, again, drives into the power of a brand, the power of a community, that that there's no money that builds that. Like, you need to have that and then put money to scale it, right? And it's one of those, again, complete outlier stories. And they're creating a multi-million company in three years, growing 5x a year. And they invested, and this is the interesting part, they invested 20K. That's the only investment and it's their savings. And this goes back again to products that 
are magic from the very beginning. And then you obviously need money to, to scale it. But, but yeah, so that is another one of my top companies, direct to consumer brand and beauty brand, huge market, but more than that, huge customer love. That's well, I mean, that's a, probably a good point to end some of the really great lessons and, and, and sort of stories that you've shared with us where some key, some key themes bubble up. I think one of them is think big beyond, you know, maybe where your initial comfort zone is and follow your instincts yes. um, and, and have that be driven by passion. Otherwise it might fizzle. The next one is uh, data-driven founders with the house in order learn quicker. So uh, definitely hygiene. You just can't neglect that. Uh, another good point that you made that, um, that's probably worth doubling down on, even though, you know, it came from um, part of your journey with Felix was the power of the brand and power of the community. It's a huge driver in value. Um, from Yoda, you must unlearn what you have learned. Um, you, you must be a thesis-driven investor. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of the future of, of what you guys were looking at and what, what's important. Um, and then also looking at the, the leadership of a company and how it treats its employees and, and how it thinks about that also defines the brand. Would you say, would you want to add any more? I mean, I want to copy them down for the next like, podcast. You've <laughs> summarized it so much better than me. I'll just add two things on, on two that I think are important and that I, uh, we didn't touch upon much. Um, and uh, you grabbed them very, uh, very well from, from what I was saying. But so I think um, talking about optimizing speed of learning, and I know this is highly unsexy, but as founders, do not underestimate the power of having your business under control, of understanding what your KPIs are tracking them. I think some people are scared of numbers. Don't be, they give you control. And if you compare founders' evolution and growth when they understand their business, it's, it's just like multiple so that is one and the two on be a thesis driven investor and this is also because I mean I was trained as a lawyer right so I was trained to look at every potential scenario and don't marry any of them so that was one of the key learnings of, of VC for me and one of the hardest things for me to do was to actually look at all the potential scenarios and say this I'm going for this and I mean I might be wrong I'm all into strong opinions weekly health like that is not a mm. problem, but I need to force myself to build a best a, a thesis. So I believe every company will be remote ready. I believe sustainable commerce will uh, commerce will be sustainable in five years. All e-commerce. Well, that is like pretty bold statements, and of course there are many bad and what ifs. But I think as investors, there's value in being thesis driven and open to be proven wrong, but just have an opinion of where the world's going so that we can yeah. inform our investments. Well, all I hope is that the world is going to a good place. So uh, that sounds corny, but that's a good place to end. I 100% um, agree. I 100% <laughs> agree. Um, so with that, thanks for joining us, Carmen. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.